0: Brother Andy, thank you, praise team. Thank you, church, for singing out loud, for worshiping. Amen. God is good and he is worthy of our worship. I don't know about you, but I feel kind of like a racehorse. I kind of worked up a lather and now I'm ready to run. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we're going to dig into God's word, and I promise you, God's word is good. It is light. It is life. So go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. We're really going to be primarily focused on chapter 12. But we're going to begin in chapter 11 and just kind of work our way in to chapter 12. Uh, how many of you like quotes? Like, you, you like, you know, quotes when people say, hey, do you remember what they said in this movie? Or do you remember what so-and-so once said? I don't know about you, but I love quotes. Uh-oh. Okay. We need Easton's mom to come to the nursery. Nothing's wrong. We just need Easton's mom to come with Ramona to the nursery. (laughs) So, so, quotes. I don't know about you, but I love quotes. This morning, uh, I had two good friends running the Little Little Rock Half Marathon. One of them ran the Little Rock Half Marathon, and one of them ran the Little Rock Marathon. And so this morning, way early in the morning, I sent them a couple of quotes. Now, one of the quotes I sent them was Isaiah, you know, chapter 40, verse 31. And I said, hey, uh, you will run and not grow weary. Uh, that's one of the ones I sent them, and uh, those, those guys did great. One of them this morning ran his best half marathon ever, uh, and the other just finished his marathon just a few minutes ago, and so I'm excited for them. I'm proud of them, but when I th- think about quotes, I think about one of my favorite series of movies, and you'll just have to forgive me if you don't like them, and if you like them, well, then you're cool too. Uh, I love the Rocky series, okay? I've been a Rocky fan ever since I was a kid. I think the best Rocky movie is the first one. Uh, Even though 600 have been made, the first one was the best. They could make a 600 first and I'd watch it. But anyway, in the first Rocky movie, I I love this quote, okay? Rocky was talking about, you know, fighting and nobody gave him a chance to win. And here's what Rocky said. He said, you, me, nobody is going to hit as hard as life hits. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. He said, that's how you win. That's how winning is done. Another one of my favorite writers uh, was a guy named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I love what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said. He said this, it takes less time to do something right than it does to explain to someone why you did it wrong. Think about that for just a minute. It takes less time to do something right than it does to explain to someone why you did it wrong. So I don't know about you, but quotes, I love them. If you ever come to my office, you're going to find sticky notes all over my desk. You're going to find posters all over my wall, and there's just quotes on my wall, right, and on these sticky notes. Another one is this, and this one is really going to apply to the Scriptures today. Alright, so another quote that I have written down, now let me preface this, I have learned that this quote is not entirely accurate, but it's still a good quote. So Jim George once said this, it's not how you start that matters, but how well you finish. Like I said, a good quote, I think he means well, and I think maybe from certain perspectives that could sound true. But here is what I believe. If you do want to finish well, if you want to finish strong, then it actually does matter how you start. Not only does it matter how you start, it also matters how you move in the middle. Uh, You know, I was thinking about one of my buddies this morning that was running his marathon. He sent me a message, and he said, man, uh, it ain't going well. I don't feel good. I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this race. I said, yes, you can, and yes, you will. And here's what I told him. I said, even though you had a bad start, you can have a really good middle and you can have a strong finish, and he did. He got over that bad start. He had a good middle and he had a strong finish. And so I believe this to be true. This is my quote, okay? Now, you don't have to write this down and you don't have to take it for truth, but this is what I believe. I believe finishing strong usually comes down to staying focused and making adjustments. That's what I believe. I believe finishing strong in anything you do, it, it matters, right? The start matters, the middle matters, but here's the thing. you got to stay focused on why you are doing what you do. And not only that, I believe sometimes, like, like Rocky said, sometimes life's going to hit hard and things aren't going to go the way you want, so guess what you have to do? You have to adjust. You have to make adjustments. And, and I believe we're going to see that in Scripture today. Uh, Now, we might not see it in a very positive way, but we're going to see it in Scripture today. Now, I want to remind you of what I told you last week, because what's happened is that Samuel, uh, he's the prophet, he's the priest, he is actually the last judge that Israel has, but Samuel has now ushered in, and he's privately anointed a new king. And so that means the time of the judges is done, and it is the time of the kings, but I want to remind you of two truths, even in all of this, no matter what we see in Saul, who I believe had a pretty good start, right? Even, even what we see in Saul and what happens to Saul, don't forget this, right? God is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. That means He can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, with whomever he wants. Even when the circumstances look bad, even when it hurts, even when it don't feel good, even when we can't see. Because it's so dark, don't ever forget the Lord is sovereign. That means He is in control. Not only that, the Lord is merciful. God has mercy. He has mercy upon you. He has mercy upon me. And I believe this. In the Bible, we learn that Israel is His chosen people. His chosen people. They are His children. And He has called them to shine His light in this world. He has set them apart from other nations. And God himself is their king. But what we see in the book of 1 Samuel is that Israel is sinful. And what they did was they rejected God. How do I know they rejected God? Because they went to Samuel and said, we want you to go to God for us because we want a king like everybody else has. We want a king like the other nations. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means they reject God as their king and they want a king like. Assyria has They want a king like Persia has They want a king like Egypt has They want a king like the other nations God is their king But they don't want God as their king anymore They want a king like the other nations And guess what Sometimes God gives us what we want So that we can see just how desperate we really are for Him And so God honors their request He grants their request He tells Samuel, give them their king And so we know the story Samuel uh, goes to the place where God called him to go. Here comes Saul, and and the Lord tells Samuel, That's the one, anoint him. And so Samuel anoints Saul privately as a king. And so we don't hear much after chapter 10. Uh, Saul kind of goes back home. Uh, His uncle says, Where have you been? He said, I found my daddy's donkeys. He doesn't say anything about Samuel, right, the prophet of God anointing him. And so we understand that, that Saul, we, we look at it and we say, well, maybe it's humility. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe it's scared. Maybe it's fear. I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Saul. But for whatever reason, uh, Saul didn't just ascend on the throne. He's kind of sitting on it right now, right, in, in, in hiding. And so we get to chapter 11. And let me tell you what happens in chapter 11. King Nahash comes along, and he's from the Ammonites. And so King Nahash comes along, and he causes chaos for Israel. Understand, up until this point, there's been all kinds of people groups causing chaos for Israel. The Philistines, for sure, and the Ammonites are the other. And so the Ammonites come along, and they whip the Israelites in a place called Jabesh-Gilead. And so they ask King Nahash. They say, hey, King Nahash, can we sign a treaty with you? We don't want to die. We don't want you to destroy us. And here's what he says in chapter 11. He says, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and bring disgrace upon Israel. What a treaty, right? It's like, well, thank you for your generosity. right? Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. King Nahash says, here's the treaty I'll make with you. Right? You got one of two things. I'm fixing to wipe you out. I'm fixing to kill all of you, or I'll just gouge out your right eye and make you a disgrace to all the other nations. Now, understand, that's what Israel's enemies wanted to do to her. They they wanted to destroy her. They wanted her to be a disgrace to the world. That's not what God chose Israel for. That's not why God called Israel out. Hey, God called Israel out to be the light of the world, right? To shine His light, to shine His love, His grace, and His mercy, to show His glory to the world. And so King Nahas comes along, and he causes chaos. Now, like I told you, Saul was privately anointed by Samuel, and he was publicly announced as Israel's king, but he's been quiet. He's been quiet. We haven't heard a lot from Saul. As a matter of fact, chapter 11 tells us that he's been in the fields behind the oxen. So he's still working for daddy. Right, He's out farming for daddy. He's doing stuff for daddy when he knows. Listen, God has already given him three miracles. Three prophecies came true so that Saul would know that God chose him to be king. And yet he's just going about his family business. But <laughs> he hears about what King Nahash did. And chapter 11 says this, The Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he burned with anger. So Saul hears about what's going on. These Emonites have come in uh, to Jabesh Gilead. And Saul, he's out in the fields with his daddy. And somebody comes and tells him, hey, Saul, hey, look what happened. And Saul's like, hey, uh, this ain't right. But he didn't do that in and of himself. It says the Spirit of God came upon him. And so the Spirit of God gave him this burning with inside. And here's what it says. It says he cut up a pair of oxen and he sent them throughout Israel. And he tells them, this is what's going to happen to your oxen if you don't follow me and Samuel into battle. And so the Israelites, they feared the Lord. It says they came together as one. Do you notice what happens when we put our fear in the Lord? The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is what? Wisdom and knowledge and understanding. It also tells us right here that when we fear the Lord, unity comes. Because they came together. Israel came together in the fear of the Lord, and it says that 330 Israelites gathered to fight the Ammonites. And you ready for this? Verse 11 says this, The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. You want to know how bad they slaughtered them? It says those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Listen to what God did through the Israelites and through Saul. God destroyed one of the strongest armies on the planet. The Ammonites were fierce. They were not known for losing. They were known for winning. But the Spirit of God stirred Saul, and the Spirit of God brought the Israelites together in unity, and God went in and took care of the Ammonites in such a way that when they took off running, they didn't run in pairs. They ran individually. Think about that for just a minute. It wasn't clusters of them going this way or that way. It was one going this way, one going that way, and one going that way. They couldn't even stay together. And so what we see in the Scripture is that some of the things, right, that we usually see in common with the kings of Israel moving forward is that you will see a private anointing, which is what we saw with Saul, You'll also see a public announcement. They bring the people together and say the Lord has chosen this one to be king, but you'll also see a victorious confirmation. And it usually comes by way of war or battle. And so that's what we've seen. So then we come to verses 12 through 15, and this is where I want you to see today. 1 Samuel chapter 11, listen to what verses 12 through 15 says because we go got listen. We're going to hear a lot of bad stuff about Saul. I don't know what you know about Saul. Maybe you know all of it that the Bible says, and that's good. But here's the thing. Saul ain't known as one of the great kings of Israel. But that ain't God's fault. That's Saul's fault. Because Saul got off to a great start. As a matter of fact, look at it. Verse 12. It says, The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful words right there. That's pretty awesome that Saul recognizes it ain't nothing he did, it's what God did. So, so we got something pretty positive right here coming from Saul's mouth. Verse 14, it says, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. So, so here's what we see in this passage of Scripture. Right off the bat, Saul is confirmed. He's confirmed as the king of Israel after this big victory. Listen to me. For a while here, Saul might have been in the fields farming for his daddy, but even in the fields farming for his daddy, he was king of Israel. It just wasn't confirmed yet. Listen, it just got confirmed. When, when Saul sent a message all through Israel and said, Hey, you see this piece of oxen? That's what your oxen's gonna look like tomorrow if you don't come fight with me and Saul, Samuel tomorrow. The, the people, they feared the Lord. Notice they feared the Lord, not Saul. They feared the Lord, and the Lord brought them together. For Saul's campaign against the Ammonites. And guess what? The Lord gave them victory. The Lord gave them victory. And so Saul, if you look at this. Saul has a great start. He really does. He has a strong start. We see him display mercy. And we see him display humility. Now listen to me. Those are great qualities for a king. Let's take king out of it. Those are great qualities for anybody to have. Mercy and humility. And we see it right here with Saul when some of his people wanted to hunt down and kill the ones who questioned his kingship. As a matter of fact, in, in chapter 10, it ends, it says some of the scoundrels didn't want Saul as king. That's probably who they're talking about. Well, listen, these, they just had this great victory. The Lord has confirmed him as king, so what do they do? Hey, let's go get the ones who don't want him king and kill them. And Saul could have said, yeah, those people who are against me, If they're not for me, they're against me, go kill them. But that's not what he says. He says, no, no one's going to die today. We're not killing anybody today. And then he gives credit where credit is due. He says, for this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. It reminds me of something that Dr. David Jeremiah says. You know, I like quotes, so let me quote Dr. David Jeremiah for you. Dr. David Jeremiah says, the inauguration, because it can be confusing, right? It can be confusing If Saul has such a great start, and if he's saying something like this that glorifies God, doesn't that mean he's a godly man? Well, let me tell you what Dr. David Jeremiah says. It says, the inauguration of Saul by Israel as its earthly king in no way diminished that God was the one true king over Israel. Remember, God is sovereign, and God is merciful. And remember what God told Samuel about Saul. Here it is, right? Are you ready? Why was Saul king? He was king because the Israelites asked for a king like all the other nations. And God even told Samuel this. Here's the purpose of Saul becoming king. He said, Saul will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines because I've looked upon my people, their cry has reached me. And so in his sovereignty, what we see is, is that nothing happens without God either causing it to happen or allowing it to happen. And either way, whatever happens always works for God's eternal purposes. And I'm going to tell you something. What we see in 1 Samuel, it ain't no different today. It ain't no different today in Start, Louisiana. It ain't no different today in my life or your life. God either causes things to happen or He allows things to happen in our lives. But God is sovereign, and God is merciful. And whatever happens in your life and my life, it will always be for God's eternal purpose. Don't miss that today. Don't miss that today. So we jump into 1 Samuel chapter 12, and this is where, man, this is where it gets good. Watch this. 1 Samuel chapter 12, the first five verses says, Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me, In the presence of the Lord and his anointed, talking about Saul. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. And the people respond, you have not cheated or oppressed us. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. And Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. This is very important. Remember what I said. First Samuel is a transitionary period between the time of the judges into the time of the king." The last judge of Israel is Samuel. The first king of Israel is Saul. And so Samuel recognizes. He recognizes what God is doing. In other words, God is now taking that judge authority from Samuel and he's now giving it to King Saul. And so what we've seen so far is a mighty king's victory, right? That's what we've seen so far, but get ready, because we're fixing to see a prophet's last warning, a prophet's last warning. And let me remind you, who is a prophet? A prophet is one of God who speaks whose words? God's words, not his own, God's words. And so what Samuel is doing right here, Samuel is not claiming perfection. Please don't read that and go, oh, Samuel's perfect. You remember I told you I've been studying this, and I've been saying, man, Samuel, if if there's something wrong with Samuel, somebody help me, like, find it. I do know that Samuel is not perfect, and Samuel's not claiming to be perfect. But I'm going to tell you this, he is a man of integrity. And he is displaying that integrity to all of Israel. Samuel was God's prophet, he was God's judge, he was God's priest, he was God's teacher. And here's what I wish. I wish Saul could have learned from Samuel's lessons on integrity. That's what I wish, right? Because, you know, I'm reading the story for I don't know how many times now, and so I know how this ends for Saul. But, man, I wish I I had not read anything, and I wish, man, Saul, if you want to be a good king, you need to stick close to Samuel because Samuel is a man of integrity. And if you want to be God's king, you need to be God's king of integrity. And so, with these words, the Israelites are now ready because what do they proclaim in front of God as witness and in front of King Saul? What do they proclaim about Samuel? You're right. You have not stolen from us. You have not cheated us. You have not done anything wrong to us. Again, not talking about perfection, talking about integrity. In other words, Samuel, we trust you, right? We, we trust you. We know that you are God's prophet. We know that you are speaking to us on behalf of God. So the Israelites are saying, we trust you. So here we go. You ready? Verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors out of Egypt. Now then stand here because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them into this place. Verse 9. you see it? This is very important, because this ain't just Israel. You know who this is? This is me and you today. We have the same problem. Look at verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. This is apostasy. They're guilty of apostasy. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. It says So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherahs, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. So Samuel does three very important things with these words, Okay. So Samuel understands the history of Israel. He understands because he himself is an Israelite. He he knows the real problem with Israel. First and foremost, they are sinful. God is faithful and Israel is faithless. He knows that. And so the very first thing that Samuel does is he points out the righteousness of the Lord. Do you see that? He says, don't forget this. The Lord is righteous. Samuel reminds them, right? Right? That they are who they are, and they are where they are, not because of their efforts, but because of the effort of the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord. No one else and nothing else. That's pretty important. Because guess what they just experienced? A great victory. And guess who they wanted to give credit to? We just read it. Somebody said it. You say it louder, whoever you were. Yeah, they wanted to give credit to Saul. And even Saul said, hey, 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 we ain't killing nobody today. And I didn't win this. The Lord won this. So Saul even got off to a great start by rejecting, right, the praise of the people and pointing it to the Lord. And now Samuel does the same thing. He points out the righteousness of the Lord. And then guess what Samuel does? Verse 9, right? Here's your problem, Israel. You forgot the Lord your God and you're almost ready to do it again. Samuel points out the apostasy of Israel. Now that's a big Fancy theological church word, but here's what it means. It's real simple. Apostasy means rebelling against. That's what it means. It means to rebel. It means to forsake. It means to turn your back on. It means to abandon. It means forgetting or falling away. So guess what Samuel reminds Israel of your problem in the past and your problem today is apostasy. You cry out to God. God moves on your behalf and guess what you do? You serve the bells and the asterisks. You give thanks to people and things that don't need to be given thanks to. You worship things and people when you were called to worship God alone. Why? Because you forgot the Lord. And it is a willful It's not like a stumble away from No, it's a complete apostasy. It's turning your back on something and walking away. And that's what Samuel says about Israel. You have turned your back on God and walked away from him. You've rebelled against him. You've rejected him. And guess what? Samuel could have stopped right there, right, with an exclamation point. But he doesn't stop there. You know what he does? Samuel points out the faithfulness of the Lord. Don't you love that? He, he, like, starts out with, hey, the righteousness of the Lord, and you turkeys are evil. There's, I'm doing it in my language now, okay? So this, this is in First Jeff, and you don't have that copy yet. You probably never will, and I wouldn't want you to read it anyway. But he basically says, hey, we're here because of the righteousness of the Lord, and by the way, you're, you're a bunch of turkeys, because you ain't, you ain't acknowledged him. You've turned your back on him. You've rebelled against him, but guess what? God is still faithful. So he punches them in the gut, and then he says, oh, wait, 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 sorry I punched you. All right? Now he puts his hand on the back of their neck and pats it, and he says, God is faithful. Even as Israel, think about this for just a minute. Even as Israel continued to break the covenant relationship she had with God Almighty, God remained faithful. How good is that? I'm going to tell you how good it is. It's so good that you hear it again in the New Testament, right? Because what did Paul tell young Timothy? What did he tell young Timothy? He said, even when we are faithless, God remains what? Faithful. Why? Because he cannot disown himself. In other words, he can't break his own covenant because he is truth. He is life, and he is light. So God delivered his children time and time again. And remember what God told Samuel. I'm going to give them Saul as king. Why? Why? Because he's going to rescue them from where? The hand of the Philistines. And Samuel just told them that. So watch this. Verse 12 says, and he's, he's reminding them of the past. Now he's reminding them of the present. He says, but when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king, that's very important because we're going to see that neither one of them can do it right. But if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So what does Samuel say? He points out the righteousness of the Lord. He points out the apostasy of Israel. He points out the faithfulness of God. And once again, he tells them God is faithful. Hey, God is faithful. And God does not change the covenant relationship. In other words, God is still your God. And whether you like it or not, and whether you even acknowledge it or not, God is still your king. God is still the king. And he's not changing this covenant relationship. So even though Israel rejected God as their king, and now they had this earthly king that was set up before them, God still commanded them. Do you see that? He still commanded them as a loving father and as their true king. And what did he command them? He said, do not rebel against me. Do not rebel against me. He says, I want you to fear me. I want you to serve me. I want you to obey me. Why? So that you may be blessed to be a blessing. See, God had eternal purpose for his children. But they were stuck in where? The here and now. They weren't thinking about the past. They certainly weren't thinking about eternity. They were only thinking about, man, these nations are whooping us, and they got kings over them. Well, we want a king like they have so that we can start returning the whoopings. They were claustrophobic, if you will, right? They they were stuck in this this tight thing called right here and now, and they couldn't see the space of it all. They couldn't see the eternity of it all. And so Samuel reminds them, hey, God's faithful, and God ain't changing. The covenant relationship, even though you are faithless. I love listening to Joby Martin. He's one of my favorite pastors. He's actually coming to, to the Dry Bones Men's Conference this fall and is going to preach to us, and I, I'm excited about that. But listen to what Joby Martin says, and I think this is, this is another quote, right, because I told you I love quotes. This is another quote, and maybe you do want to write this one down. I'll put it on the screen. You can take a picture of it if you want to. Joby Martin says this, Disobedience has a destination. And it leads to destruction. Did you hear that? Disobedience has a destination. And it leads to destruction. Now that's not just Joby Martin's words. That's the Bible. Go read the Psalms. Go read the Proverbs. You know who wrote most of the Proverbs? Solomon. One of the kings of Israel who's coming. Destruction has a destination and it leads to, sorry, disobedience has a destination and it leads to destruction. So so if you don't want to follow God, if you don't want to obey God, who created you, who formed you and fashioned you in His image, who even breathed the breath of life into your bodies, if you don't want to do it the way God does it, well, guess what? You got a destination. You want to be disobedient? You got a destination. It's called destruction. It will happen. It will happen. So watch verse 16. Because Samuel ain't done talking, right? He's telling them what God has put in his heart and his mouth. And here's how he finishes. He says, now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord. And that same day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that they will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Listen to me, this is so important what's happening right here. I'm gonna tell you what this is. This is Holy Spirit conviction leading to repentance, okay? I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just want you to see it right now, and I'll remind you in just a few minutes. That's what this is. So look at how Samuel responds, verse 20. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away. After the useless idols, they can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure, here it is, right? The final statement that we hear from Samuel in this way. He says, but be sure to fear the Lord. That's where it starts. To know who God is and to know who you are in the scheme of things. He says, but fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider. In other words, remember. Instead of what? Forgetting. Because what did he say earlier in the chapter? You forgot The Lord your God. So now he turns it around and he says, consider. In other words, remember, dwell upon, consider what great things he has done for you. You want to know why he says that? Because it's real easy to forget the goodness of God when the bank account dries up. It's real easy to forget the goodness of God when the doctor's report, don't come back the way you want it to come back. It's real easy to start feeling, woe is me and poor pitiful me when the walls start caving in. And guess what the devil loves to do? He loves to take your eyes off of the promises of God, right? He loves to take your focus off of the Lord your God who has been with you every step of the way and who will never leave you and never forsake you. He wants you to turn your back on him. You want to know why? Because he wants you to disobey because disobedience has a destination. And guess what that destination is? Destruction And guess what Jesus told us in John chapter 10? The goal of the enemy is, it is to steal, kill, and what? Thank you. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. Consider, remember, dwell upon, do not forget the great things He has done for you. Yet if you persist... In doing evil, both you and your king will perish. That's a mic drop moment, amen. (laughs) You know, we see that on TV shows and movies. Like when the when the speaker says something powerful and the speaker says, I'm done, he like boom, drops a mic and walks off. Now, thankfully, Samuel don't walk off. He he still continues to serve the Lord, just not as a judge. He's still a prophet, he's still a priest. But here's what he does, right? And this is so important. He calls for a miracle. He says, I'm going to ask God for a miracle. And here's why he's asking God for a miracle. He's going to point out the sin of Israel, and he's going to point out, hey, you need to repent. So guess what he does? He says, hey, what time of year is it? It's harvest season. Do you want to know something about this location of Israel? During the harvest season, do you know how much it rained? None. It's the driest time of the year. It it never rains. There's no thunder, no lightning. That's why they harvest during that time of the year. And and so Samuel says, hey, is it not harvest season? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask God to make it thunder a little bit. And then I'm going to ask God to pour the rains out. And it's not for me. It's for you. I want you to know that God is God. And that God is king. Still. Still. I want you to recognize your sinfulness, and I want you to repent. So that's what the miracle was all about. So so how did Israel respond? So when the rain poured, right, what did they do? Ooh, (laughs) they stood in awe, is what it says. It says they stood in awe of God and of Samuel who spoke the word of God. It it said they stood in awe, and not only that, because I just told you a while ago, I got ahead of myself, so now let me get back on track. Here's what happens. Israel asked Samuel to pray for them. Do you know what they want? They want an intercessor. Because they don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy to talk to God. They don't feel worthy to pray for themselves. So what do they ask for? They ask for an intercessor. They ask for the man of God, Samuel, the prophet of God, to pray for them. And then what do they do? It says it right here that they repent of their sin. You know what repentance is? Repentance is not, oh, I'm sorry, I got busted. You know what repentance is? Repentance is, you're right, God. I'm guilty. That's what repentance is. You're right, God. I'm guilty. I ain't blaming nobody else. I'm guilty. But you are faithful. Instead of turning away from you, I'm going to turn to you. Because I know you love me. Even in my sin, I know you love me. And so I trust you, God, to forgive me and to restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Another king wrote that. That's not my words. His name is David. That's the goodness of God. And so they recognized their own sinfulness. They recognized their need for an intercessor. And they turned. Right? Instead of turning away from, instead of apostasy, and rebelling against God in this moment of being called out for their sin, you know what they did? They turned to God. And they said, yes, we are guilty. We deserve your punishment. We deserve your judgment. We deserve your wrath. But God, you love us, and you are kind, and you are compassionate, and you are merciful. Oh, God, forgive us. That's repentance. What we see in this passage of Scripture is a move of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, well, Brother Jeff, I I don't don't see any mention of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you go back, it says the Spirit came upon Saul. And the Spirit spoke to and used Saul, who we know is not a godly king. But don't forget, the Lord is sovereign and can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whomever he wants. Right? Don't forget that. So, yeah, we do see the Spirit move. He first moves on the king. And then guess what? I can't convict you. I can't convict you of your, your sinful heart. You know what else I can't do? I can't repent for you. I can't do that. You don't want to know something? Samuel is an intercessor, right? He couldn't convict anybody's hearts. God didn't give him that power and that authority. Samuel can't repent for the people. You know what he can do? He can pray for them. And you know what he can do? He can pray that the Holy Spirit convict their hearts and that the Holy Spirit stir them unto repentance. So let me ask you a couple of questions. And we'll close. Number one, do you recognize, you recognize your own need for the Savior? Do you, do you recognize that you can't do anything apart from God? You can't be good enough. You can't be successful enough. You can't have enough titles, enough money, enough children, enough work. You, you can't. You can't do anything apart from the grace and the mercy of God. And to think that you can is rebellion. It, it's rejection. So do you recognize your own need for the Savior? And, and that, asks, that leads me to this next question that i got to ask. Do you recognize your own need for repentance? You know what happens so many times? So many times what can happen is we can be reading our Bible, we can be serving in the church, and we can start feeling so good about ourselves that we recognize the sin of everybody else. And we recognize that that person needs to repent, and he needs to repent, and she needs to repent. And we just forget about us. We get so full of ourselves and think, oh, man, we church people, and we do this, and we do that. And, man, I served on a retreat this weekend, and, man, I'm cooking supper tonight. And, man, I was in Sunday school 12 times in a row so far in 2024. We can start feeling so good and waving our own flags. And I'm going to just tell you something. That's apostasy. That's what that is. That's apostasy. That means I don't need you, God. I'm doing pretty good on my own because I can't do none of it without God. And before I point a finger or look down upon anybody else with condemnation, I best look in that mirror and say, God, don't let me forget who I was before you stirred my heart. Don't let me forget, God, that I can fall just as fast as anybody else. So do you recognize your own need for a Savior? Because here's the thing. If you don't recognize the need for your own Savior, you're lost you're lost and you're going to be disobedient and disobedience has a destination and it is destruction. And if that's where you want to go, that's where you're going to end up. It'll be your choice. Not God's will, your choice. Because in His sovereignty, guess what God gives us? Free will. He gives us free will. In other words, we choose. So so let me just tell you about the Holy Spirit. Here's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit's conviction. Because the Holy Spirit conviction leads us to God every time, every time. If if the Holy Spirit begins to convict you because of your sin, I'm telling you the goal of the Holy Spirit is to get you to turn from your sin and to God every time, every time. You know what the opposite of conviction is? Condemnation. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is leading you away from God. So we need the Holy Spirit. Listen, conviction through the Holy Spirit means seeing, knowing, and admitting the truth before Almighty God, admitting that we need a Savior, admitting that we are sinful and God is not and He is faithful. That's what conviction, the Holy Spirit will always convict a believer of his or her sin so that that believer will be led in repentance to turn away from sin, away from self, and to God. Always, always, always. The Holy Spirit will never convict you and try to drive you away from God because then that would mean that the Holy Spirit of God is not one with God. But the Bible tells us that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. So if you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, it's always about repentance that leads to God. That's good, amen? People ask me all the time, Brother Jeff, how can I know know that I know that I'm saved? That right there. If the Holy Spirit ain't convicting you of, of your sin and the Holy Spirit ain't leading you in repentance to turn to God, to recognize your great need of a Savior, to recognize the need of repentance, you ain't saved. You ain't saved. Because the Holy Spirit ain't going to leave you alone. (laughs) The Holy Spirit ain't going to leave you alone. If you're you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is in you. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you. So the Holy Spirit ain't going to leave you alone. You can't just keep on sinning and be okay with it. If you keep on sinning and you're okay with it, you best backtrack and ask yourself, was that just some big emotional spill? Or was that just some, I want to show off in front of people? I want to be in the cool crowd or the the cool, just backtrack. Holy Spirit is the difference. He he is the difference. Condemnation. Do you know what that word means? Here's what condemnation means. It means to be unfit for use. Unfit for use. It means to be declared by the judge reprehensible and evil. That's what condemnation means. I'm going to tell you something, church. We need to understand the difference between Holy Spirit conviction and fleshly condemnation. Because the church don't need to be out there condemning nobody. The church needs to be out there telling the truth about God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy, and telling people about what it means to repent. And not only telling them with their mouths, but showing them with their lives. I always tell you, don't take Jeff's word for it. Why don't we take God's word for it? And Here it is. Last thing I'm going to say. John 3, 16. You know this verse, don't you? For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Man, everybody loves that verse. Everybody memorizes that verse. We, we start memorizing that when we're two years old, and, you know, we just memorize that verse. But you know what? We miss two of the best verses that go along with it. You ready? John, 7, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So Jesus Himself came and lived perfectly. Died sacrificially. Rose victoriously. And He did not come so that you would be condemned. So that you would just face condemnation. What did He come to do? He came for conviction. He came for a Holy Spirit conviction. Because guess what Holy Spirit conviction does? It leads to repentance. And boy, when you repent and you put faith in Jesus Christ, guess what you are? Saved. Saved by God through Christ. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is no longer condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What a powerful passage of scripture. You thought this was all about Samuel and Saul, didn't you? It can get real easy. It can get real easy to, to, to read something like this, especially in the Old Testament, and go, man, look at Samuel. Man, look at Saul. And, and, and I told you, hey, look at Saul. Had a great start. I'm going to tell you something. Oh, he didn't make no adjustments. And he fails miserably. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the end of the story. I still want you to come next Sunday, by the way. Okay? But, but, but just understand, a good start don't mean a great finish. You've got to make adjustments. You've got to stay focused. He does not. I told you a little bit about Samuel. Samuel was a man of integrity, but I'm going to tell you something. Samuel recognized his own need for a Savior. And Samuel recognized his own need for repentance. He wasn't just pointing a finger and saying, y'all need to repent. He was saying, we, we are sinful and we need to repent. And so, yeah, I, I said a little bit about Saul and a little bit about Samuel, but here's what it all comes down to. It all comes down to the King of Kings. It all comes down to Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? What decision have you made? Do you recognize your own need for a Savior? Do you recognize your own need of repentance? Because here's the thing. If you don't recognize your need for a Savior, you will not repent. And if you do not repent, you will face God's wrath. Not just here and now, but for Eternity. It's not God's will for your life. The Bible says God does not want anyone, anyone to come under condemnation. He does not want anyone to suffer in separation from him forever, but that they might know him through Christ. That's what Paul tells us in the New Testament. But guess what?